in five, four. Hey everyone, JJ Cooper joined by Carlos Colazzo today. We're gonna to do some draft talk on today's Facebook Live. Before we do that, dude, thank you for tuning in. We do wanna remind you that our Facebook Live and our podcast are brought to you by Baseballism. As you can see, we're sporting the gear. We've got a new box. We're kind of very excited. Yeah. We got some, uh, some new gear, very sharp. But we do want to remind you that our podcast, our Facebook Lives, are brought to you by Baseballism. Baseballism is the official off-field brand of baseball, offering apparel for men, women, and kids. And if you go right now to Baseballism.com and you enter the offer code BASHIP, that's B-A-S-H-I-P, you'll get 20% off your order. So not only can you get a shirt like this or the 643, which I, is uh, always one of my favorites, <laughs> but you can also, they got some cool new Major League gear, Major League, the Theme movie gear. stuff. Theme gear. Yeah, I've been rocking it already. Yes. It's really, really sharp. Ironically, ironically, Carlos on today, and I see he shows yeah. up in the office, and probably for the first time in a week, <laughs> he wasn't wearing baseballism gear. Yeah, so. I think I rock it maybe four or five times a week at this point. It's really good stuff, so definitely check so, it out. But if you want the gear, go to baseballism.com, BA ship, you get 20% off of your order. And by doing that, you're also helping support the uh, podcast and the Facebook Live, and we thank you for that. So we obviously will take your questions as we always do, but Carlos, we've had a lot of draft news happen the last couple of weeks. Yeah. We've had good draft news. We've had not so good draft news. I mean, same thing with some, on the prospect side, we've had good prospect side. Kyle Tucker's had a good first week. Uh, spring training, we've had Brent Honeywell, TJ, Jake Berger, Achilles. Yeah, the, the TJ stuff is the worst. You get, everyone gets so excited for baseball to be back, and then sure enough, Here you start comes. hearing of guys just falling with TJ. It happens first every week. year. We know it's gonna happen every year. Uh, but it still sucks when it does happen because you really want to see these guys pitch more than anything. And but we've had some bad news also on the uh, on the draft side. Yeah, uh, Stephen Gingry, Tyler Holton, two guys who are down uh, with UCL injuries. They're going to be out for the TJs. year. Yeah, so they're going to be out. Um, probably going to take hits because they're with their draft stock. Uh, we've got a new 300 that's going to be hitting very soon. Um, I don't know if we're saying the actual date at this point, but it's dropping real very soon. soon, very, very soon. Um, you'll see that reflected in the standings or in the rankings. Um, but they're also... even at the top of the draft. I mean, you know, when you talk about best hitters in this draft class, Nick Madrigal's name has to be at the very top yeah, of that list. I mean, we put, we put out our best tools for the preseason All-America teams, and Nick Madrigal was the guy who was best hitter. And I think if you polled guys, Nick Madrigal would, would be the guy who comes out on top. But, there are a couple other guys who have arguments, uh, guys who have performed this spring. But Nick Madrigal is a guy who started out hitting just like he's done the past two years. He had two home runs in the first two weeks of the college season. His previous career high is four with Oregon State. He has five total. I mean, I don't know if that power is going to continue, but... But, oh. but we now have, I mean, it's not good for a while now because... No, it's four to six weeks, I believe, is how long he's out. Uh, injured his wrist sliding into home plate. So Madrigal, one of my personal favorites for a long time and one of the best college hitters, uh, is going to be out. I don't think that's going to reflect poorly on him in the, in the standings, the rankings. Excuse me, I keep saying standings. Uh, I don't think he's going to drop too far just because he has that track record. None of the tools have changed. I don't think it's an injury... Uh, that changes his ceiling in any way if he gets back and healthy and becomes healthy again and just rehabs it the way he needs to. He should be fine. Uh, nothing in the profile changes there. And the track record he already has. Yeah. If you were talking about a guy who came into this year and you say, we really like the tools, but the resumes never match the tools, mm -hmm. we'll be we talking about a different situation. Ever, Nick Madrigal's resume already Again, you said the power could could really help raise the stock a little yeah, bit. Yeah, for sure. But other than that, 
everyone scouting Nick Madrigal already knows, like, this guy has performed, he's performed consistently. So him missing a month is not the same as a guy who came into this year saying, with everyone saying, he needs to prove it. Exactly. If it was a guy like Casey Mize, uh, who has health history, he's, he's been injured very, very frequently in his past. If he was a guy who was injured uh, or wasn't pitching any at this point in the season, there would be a lot more questions. I think you would see that reflected in his stock falling a little bit. But a guy like Madrigal, he's like you said, he's checked the boxes. He's done it before at a, very, a variety of levels, but not too many concerns. Also with that, we also have Ethan Hankins, who one of the top pitching prospects in this class. Yeah, one the top prep pitching prospect for us. Um, I think there's an argument now that Hankins is not at the top because of this, but I also think that might be a little too critical just with where his injury's at right now. If you didn't know, he had some shoulder tightness in a recent start, came out after about three innings. He got that checked out. There were no tears in his shoulder, so nothing that, that showed up on the medical. Um, from my knowledge, he's going to do some physical therapy for a couple weeks and hopefully get back out there. Uh, if he gets back out there and loosens the shoulder up and doesn't have any issues and is the same guy, he's at this the top is a of the blip. Yeah, it's just a blip on the radar. Um, but the shoulder is, uh, I think, a little more worrisome as far as people just being concerned about his future just because uh, the, the kind of repetitiveness with shoulder injuries with, with the elbow. We hear about the elbow a lot more frequently than the shoulder. And I feel like with Tommy John surgery, the success rate of that is so impressive that you almost... I, see, I always, always push back. You almost 80%. Don't worry. 80 If you said you have a four in five chance of having a really good big league career, yeah. you would like those odds. You would. But would you, would you like, say, would you be more concerned with a, a pitching prospect having shoulder issues or oh, elbow issues at this point? I would say, no, I would say, if you said that there was a reason for surgery, absolutely mm -hmm. shoulder. Definitely. At the same which time, is, but this is not exactly. what we're talking which about. Is we're part talking of the reason about why, stiff shoulder. Exactly, which is part of the reason why we're not going to freak out too much about this and kind of let it play out and see what happens. But it is something to be aware of, and guys are definitely going to be watching him as he kind of goes through the spring. But hopefully he can get out there and keep throwing already, like he did last summer. I already have a few questions, so I'm just going to kind of put you on the spot. Let's do uh, it. Erasmo Moreno asks, uh, what do you think of Nander DeSatis? Uh, where will he get drafted this Nander year? Nander DeSatis. Uh, this one's interesting. A guy who I am very high on personally. We've heard some things as we're doing reporting for the 300 that his stock is trending down. Um, I don't think it's something that's too crazy. It's obviously we're only a few weeks into the season. There are hit tool questions with Nander, and if he doesn't answer those against quality pitching in Florida this spring, uh, he could trend down as these college hitters rise up and kind of take that spot from him. Right now for us, he's at number 12. I think uh, when the 300 comes out, he'll definitely still be in the first round and very high up there, but I do think there are some concerns that he needs to answer this spring. Right, one of the better shortstop prospects in this yep. class. As far as shortstop prospects that also have the tools that you want to see, he's the guy from the high school class. He's a guy with plus raw power from both sides, a strong arm, instincts in the infield. It's just you want to see more polish in the hit tool. The other interesting thing with that that you mentioned, though, which is just a fact of a normal draft year, is that some the high school guys, some of them are going to end up moving down a little bit. Mm -hmm. Not as much. They can be where you say what we thought on January 1st and what we thought on June 1st is pretty much straight across the board the same. Yeah. Even if that happens, the college guys, there are college guys who move up because exactly. there is more, a little more certainty. And, you know, mm -hmm. if, if a college guy performs, you feel more and more comfortable with that. And 
And that's kind of, we're only two weeks in, mm -hmm. but we know every year there are going to be college bats who rise up the boards. Yep. This is the first year I've done it kind of throughout the whole process, but we hear this every single year. People have told me this relentlessly since I started doing this. The college bats are going to rise. Some of the high school players who have a little bit more risk, they're going to fall. And it's not necessarily because they didn't perform, but it's just because some of these hitters who have a longer track record, like you said, a little bit more safety with them, they're going to rise up the boards. Uh, and it's it's a zero-sum game. Someone goes up, someone else has to go down. So. And, and to give a couple examples in recent years, I mean, some prime examples, Brett Rooker at this time last year was nowhere in the top 50. Mm -hmm. And Brett Rooker had a season that kind of demanded that he be taking the top 50 picks. Yep. Andrew Benatendi the year before that was someone who you'd say, okay, there's some, you know, mm -hmm. yeah, he's, he's nice. And then he ended up having a dominant year and you, yeah. you look at it and say okay well, that's a that's a top of the first round yeah and it's yeah. it's still early but we already have a guy like that who's popped up in trevor larnack with uh, oregon state with nick madrigal he came out crushing the ball and it's to be determined how high he's going to rise but he's definitely already rising from where he was i think it was in the 90s for us in our ba 200 but he's going to be higher than that when the 300 drops and he's a guy who He's always had raw power. Uh, people wanted that to play more in-game, and so far that has. And if he can keep that up this spring, obviously it's, it's going to be tough to sustain the level he's already put up. But if he can keep hitting like that, I mean, he's going to be up there. Uh, another example that just we talk about a guy getting back on the field and able to add to the resume, Tristan Beck. Yeah, Tristan. Tristan Beck might be the biggest name that we need to talk about as far as rising because Beck is a guy who everyone told us that if he's healthy, he's a first-round talent. When our BA 200 dropped, he was outside of the first round, not by much, uh, but after two weeks, he's shown that he's healthy. The stuff is the same as what it was last year before he got injured. It might have been two, two years, two ago, years really, ago. Yeah, the stuff is the same. His performance over two weeks is solid. Obviously, you want to see that continue throughout the spring, but he's going to be in the first round. But he's answering questions already because exactly. you're actually seeing him on the mound. Yeah, when he wasn't on the mound, you're like, oh, okay, you can project all you want, but you exactly. want to see him actually see it. pitch. And I actually had a good conversation with Stanford coach uh, David Esker the other day, and he talks a little bit about Tristan Beck. You can hear uh, you can hear that interview on a podcast that's coming later uh, if you want more on Tristan Beck. But yeah, he's definitely a guy who is one of the most talented pitchers in the country. You just need to get on the field and show that he can still do it, which. You've already mentioned him, but Larry Manning has a question that says, where do you think Casey Mize will go? And I, mm -hmm. I will preface this by saying he is a guy who truly it will depend. When we talk about Nick Madrigal doesn't need to add to the resume. Yep. All that Casey Mize needs to do more than anything is be the Casey Mize he's been before and do that ideally over the course of the entire season. Exactly, fair? yeah. Definitely fair uh, in our to-do list that we did for all the guys who were pegged in the first round uh, on these rankings that we have. I think his to-do list literally just said pitch, log innings, like stay healthy. He has the stuff, he has the size, he has the projection that you need to really make an argument. And he has the dominance when he's been healthy. Exactly. It's really, it's really, really good stuff. The only question for him is injury issues uh, and health. So if he can stay healthy, I think he has a chance to go in the top five easily. He could be one of the first pitchers off the board, depending on how the season plays out. Along those lines, any other pitchers at the top who've really done something again we're two weeks in yeah so but anyone who's like wow they, they really kind of hit the ground running there are a couple in florida and i can touch on one that i've seen this spring and one that i haven't seen but i've heard good reports on uh i guess the first we'll just stick with the college guys is shane mcclanahan i actually he's saw <laughs> he's very very good if you're talking about best stuff in the class i think shane mcclanahan is the first guy you want to point to just for pure raw stuff i saw him in the fall at uh, south florida one of south florida's scout days um, but the stuff was upper 90s, sitting in the upper 90s, touching, I think he was tickling 100 uh, in his first start of the season. 10 strikeouts against UNC. 
He also had five walks. That's the thing we're going to watch with Shane McClanahan. Uh, how erratic is he going to be this season? Can he kind of figure it out? Already his second start of the season is more encouraging. No walks in that game, still nine strikeouts. Uh, but he's a guy that has plus-plus fastball, pushing top of the scale fastball if it isn't there already, uh, potential two-plus pitches and a slider and a changeup as well. Um, so he's a guy that if you're just looking at the stuff, Shane McClanahan has to be your guy. Uh, and I think he has a real argument for number one at this point, just based on our first two weeks. Again, it's very early. Yeah, it is early, and we're still going to have to see how this stuff kind of develops. Uh, but he's the guy in college who's really done well for himself in the first two weeks. The other guy is a high school pitcher out of Florida, Mason Denneberg. He was actually one of the first players I saw this spring. I took a trip down to Merritt Island, Florida, which is his high school. They were hosting a prep baseball report tournament, and Mason Denneberg shoved in front of around 20 scouting directors, I was told, by people running the event. Um, and he was touching 97, showed a plus curveball. He was at the event with Carter Stewart, who's widely regarded to have the best breaking ball in the class, at least from a high school standpoint. But not that day. And Denneberg's was better that day. It was more consistent, uh, showed plus bite, light depth. It was very hard. Uh, and he had 10 strikeouts, I believe, that day, most of those coming on the curveball. Uh, and he's taken steps. His to-do list was the secondary pitches, and he showed that in front of the right people. The thing with a lot of these Florida players at this point is they get to perform in front of a lot of decision makers just because you have spring training, a lot of meetings well, going on. And not only that, but it's one of the few places you can go right exactly. now. Exactly. Yeah. They're, not everyone has started up at this point. So most of the guy, most of the teams from the north are coming down south to play games. Uh, so this is where the scouting directors, cross-checkers, that's it, where they're going to be. It's funny how the dynamics of just the mechanics of the draft do work. If you're a JUCO guy, for example, if you're a junior college player, Ideally, if you can hit the ground running those first couple of weeks, because mm -hmm. the junior college season in Florida, in Texas, other places, especially in the South, starts well before D1, you know, and all mm -hmm. that. And so you'll see, like last year we had the Pearson Little matchup, mm -hmm. and you had everyone there because it was where else were you going to be at that time of year? Exactly. And so, but what happens is, is on the flip side, if you're a junior college player, and you get some early looks in front of prominent people and you're not at full speed, that's rough because not that you're not going to get seen again, mm -hmm. but at the same time, your chance to pitch in front of scouting directors or assistant exactly. scouting directors and all that often comes very early in the year because now we are now that we're in the regular season for everyone, mm -hmm. you get into the point of there's the tyranny of days, which is... There are only so many scouting directors who can go in and see you. They and there's only so many... <laughs> put it this way there's only so many Friday nights exactly. and so when you get outside of you know on the high school side you're not your best games are not going to be generally on Friday night thankfully mm -hmm. you know that's where you're going to hope that coaches aren't throwing their right. best guys Friday nights in Florida <laughs> right but beyond that even you know you go to the D like I, I saw Josiah Gray uh, who's probably the top arm on the D2 uh, uh, level this year uh, from Lemoyne uh, New York University and his, you know, his coach, very straightforward about it. He's going to start, and he's generally going to start on Saturdays. Why is that? Well, yep. by doing that, you're much more likely to get him seen than if you relieved him, which is what he did last year, because it's really hard to get scouts, just not because they're trying to avoid you. It's hard to get scouts to show yep. up to see a the late innings of a D2 game mm -hmm. on the chance you're going to see an arm. Exactly. And the same way, you're not going to put them on Friday night because you put them on Friday night, you're just not going to get seen. Great feel from the Lemoyne coaching staff right there. Hey, you know, it's a <laughs> it's a former uh, you know big leaguer himself. There so, we go. You know, so that's that's part of the reason why. But uh, 
Ron Cheever's just asked. Any news on Josiah Gray? There's there a feature go. up at baseballamerica.com. Ron, uh, and you know, you check it out. There's video and all of him as well. Um, uh, also, Larry Manning asks, uh, what do you think about the start Tristan Pompey has had? Thank you. Missed last week. So he's only had one week of uh, games so far. Yeah. Um, I haven't seen Pompey yet. I've heard good things about him at this point. I'll probably have to dig in a little more to give you specifics. I know that's a team that you're excited to see. I'll be seeing them in two weeks. Uh, looking forward to that. Hopefully we'll have a healthy Tristan Pompey. The reality of Tristan is, is that, again, you are talking there is some already existing mm -hmm. track record. There are absolutely legit tools it's just now a matter of putting it all together. You hope he's healthy to do that. So, I mean, when we're talking about a, a guy who's a potential first-round talent on a team that has had first-round talent last year and has first-round talent this year. Yeah, and I got all the way through that and did, did not mention I'm Sean Jelly. I didn't mention Sean Jelly because Sean Jelly is another one of these guys, and we can kind of dive into this if you want. I'll let you go in a little bit, JJ. But Sean Jelly is a guy who we seriously considered putting, I think, in the first round uh, early when this list initially hit just because we had such great reports from him in the fall. Uh, and he's a guy who has such freakish ability to throw strikes for a guy who's as tall as he is. Um, and he's got the stuff as well, the performance over the first two weeks of the season, 13 strikeout game in his first outing, I believe. Um, but Sean Jelly is a guy who's rising currently. Uh, and JJ, I'll kind of just let you freak out about him a little. I think it's it's obvious at this point that uh, Sean Jelly is, uh, I don't know if, I think he might be too good to be a personal cheese ball at this point, but uh, you like him. Why do you hey, like hey, him so hey, I started liking him when he was in high school. <laughs> okay, so if, if you've you, been on him for that been long, on him, you know, I've been on him fine. long enough. I can play Madrigal in that case. You know, so, um, but no, it, the thing that just stands out to me is, is when you're talking normally about six foot 10, six foot 11 guys, hmm. what you talk about is, is, you know, there's a lot of projection there if it all comes together, you know, but obviously long levers, it's harder to control your delivery, all that. Mm -hmm. And throw all those things out when you talk about Sean Jelly because with him, it it's something where his body control for his size, for his age, is exceptional. And we've seen that, you know, in the first two weeks where I've made, I, admittedly, so far against talent that he should shove against. Mm -hmm. Let's just be completely straightforward, but it's not just that he's shoving and he's done that, but it's something where he just, it's just strike after strike after yep. strike. His strike percentage so far has been pretty insane. He doesn't walk almost anyone. He doesn't give up a lot of hard contact. Yeah, his it was his second start that I was referencing earlier, but he went 7.2 innings, gave up one hit, zero runs, zero walks, 13 strikeouts on 94 pitches. Against, against Oakland, <laughs> yeah. who a little bit, you know, like, they again, they should, mm -hmm. but... Uh, very impressive. So good to see. Um, uh, I've got one here that I'm taking, unless you want to jump in. Larry Zervik asks, where does Nate, and I apologize, Greece, I believe, G-R-Y-S. Um, I could have pronounced that wrong. I'm terrible at pronunciations. My apologies on that. Uh, Western Michigan outfielder, that's my area. Yeah, so, that one. Um, I, right, right now, I would say too early to be able to tell. We don't have Nate in our top 200. So, again, when you are talking, I think this season, the body's good. This season, though, the production he puts up this year is going to determine a lot of, mm -hmm. of where he goes. Uh, so, a lot uh, to kind of know down the road before, uh, before we know that. Um, also, we've got some prospect questions here. But I've, um, yeah, we've got some prospect questions here. Gonzo Silva asking about Patrick Wisdom and Zach Kirtley and Scott Hurst and their chances making the Cardinals roster. Uh, wisdom for this year, uh, Kirtley and Hurst for 19 or 20. And I would say right now, this is the tough thing for all three of those is, is that I, I don't 
it's a deep roster right now. I mean, again, for all the the fact that the Cardinals are chasing the Cubs, mm -hmm. um, they also, I think that there's a lot of depth there. And so I, I don't know uh, necessarily, I don't see any of those three as like, well, they have a very clear path. Um, the guy right now, as far as clear pass for 18, as I do think Carson Kelly is going to get ABs as uh, basically Yadier Molina's caddy there in case of an injury. Uh, beyond that, I think that you're going to see obviously more of Flaherty. You're going to see, but they have a ton of outfitters the Cardinals do in the minor league system, and I don't know how many of those are even going to get, even after trades, how many of those are going to get ABs. So it's going to be kind of tough to break it in there. Um, also, uh, want to make sure I'm not missing... Uh, Casey Mize, we also had nice shirts and hats, which thank you, because, yes, <laughs> yeah. uh, Ron Lee asked. some for yourself. Uh, ETA on AJ Puck and Gohara. Um, I would say Gohara's been slowed a little bit by uh, a minor injury, but I think he was on the mound either yesterday or today for a side session, yeah. and it went reasonably well. And I think they have, even if he doesn't start in the uh, opening rotation for them, I think they can manipulate the schedule right. a little bit. To do he could be the number and five, then, yeah. and they could be starting on, on the opening roster and mm -hmm. still be the number five. Um, but again, he does have competition for that. If he's slowed a little, even a little bit more, but you're still talking about an 18 ETA. I mean, you could really argue that it was a 17 ETA for Gohara. Mm -hmm. For Puck, I think the ETA is 18. I don't think there's really much of a question of that um, because... The reality of it is, is pure talent-wise, he has more talent than the guys that he is uh, behind. And that's probably not going to be opening day, any stretch like that. But at the same time, I do think at some point this year, he's going to pitch in the big leagues for Oakland. Um, and, no, you know, that would not be surprised yeah. at all. Speaking of Puck, should we touch on another Florida pitcher for the draft? Let's wrap it up with that. Yeah. So Brady Singer has been kind of our consensus. I shouldn't say consensus. He's never been the consensus number one. He's been the most obvious number one, I feel like, is the safer way to say that. Uh, this is a class that we really haven't had in no doubt lockdown number one. Even to the extent that Hunter Green was last year, I think Hunter was safely locked in the number one spot for us through the entire draft cycle. Uh, Singer has been in that spot for us so far this year. I feel like that might be able to change at some point. There's, there are questions with Singer. I think with Singer, it's a case of you don't have as much upside with him as you do with some of the other pitchers around him. And he does so many things well but the stuff hasn't been as loud as some of these other pitchers around him. This stuff is, I mean, if you're matching him up against Shane, you know, like, it doesn't against McClanahan, he's never going to win that battle as far as just absolutely pure stuff. Exactly, and it doesn't come down to just stuff. Obviously, there are a lot of other elements, and, and Brady Singer's track record stands up with pretty much anyone else that you can put it up with. Uh, it's only been two weeks. His first week, I heard it was really good. His second week, I heard it was not as good as his first. Um, there are going to be some people who question whether he's a starter or a lever. You've got the arm slot questions, the lower slot. Um, Speaking of AJ Puck, that was the question. <laughs> exactly. That's another AJ one Puck singer. Um, I think you still want to see some more development from his secondaries. His slider is fine. His slider is a pretty safe pitch at this point for him. Easy plus pitch, maybe his bread and butter at this point. But the changeup, I think you want to see some more improvement out of. Uh, like his teammate Jackson Coar has a shutdown changeup to go with. But I think there are some questions with Singer. We knew this going into the season. Uh, how he kind of answers them throughout the spring for Florida will be telling for him. When it was all, like you said, last year we looked back on it. When it was all said and done, there were really five guys who mm -hmm. kind of separated. And really those five, I think Kyle Wright went fifth, but mm -hmm. Kyle Wright, Royce Lewis at one, not much different. Like, yeah. I mean, you could say, but really once you went six on, there was a kind of a separation there between five and six. Obviously, a lot still to come. Yeah. But if you're looking at it right now, 
how many guys do you see of that kind of are in that group where you go, you know, and I think of like Nick Madrigal, Casey Mize, who, you know, like they're not number one or two on our list, but at the same mm-hmm. time, they do kind of fit in with that group. Yeah, they do, for sure. I guess if you're talking about the guys who could fit in or at the end of the season who could fit in that spot, I think a number of the guys that we've already talked about, McClanahan, Singer, Mize, Madrigal, like you mentioned, I think I would be surprised if Madrigal went 1-1 overall just because I feel like if you're drafting 1-1, maybe you're trying to get more impact out of that, and that's kind of the big question with Madrigal is how much impact is he going to have down the line. I wouldn't be opposed to it personally. I love the guy. I think Especially he's also nowadays, Madrigal, again, or anyone else, could mm-hmm. go 1-1, and end up signing for the third or fourth mm-hmm. largest bonus in this class, and you say everyone's happy with that. Exactly. Uh, another guy that we haven't touched on a lot is Ryan Rollison, uh, left-handed pitcher with Mississippi. He's up there in that group now, and I've heard good things about his stuff, and his performance has been what you want to see at this point uh, with a left-hander with good stuff like he has. I think you have a case if you can continue per- to perform. Excuse me. You also have a couple high school guys who could fight for that spot, and Nolan Gorman. And Matthew Liberatore. I have to talk Hankins. with you. I'm going to be out in Phoenix in a few weeks. Yeah, so you have, have to go see Nolan Gorman, yes. see a bunch of home runs. The kid has some of the best uh, power and hit com- combo of anyone in the class. I think his power stacks up with a lot of the college guys who have some of the best power as far as raw. And I've seen that power play against 95-mile-per-hour velocity. So it's it's not fake power by any means. He's not selling out to get to it. Um, Matthew Liberatore is a guy who's uber-projectable, left-hander. And I think... I don't know how far Mason Denenberg is going to be jumping up at this point, but he's kind of putting himself into this crop of players. Uh, and on the college end, I don't know if we've touched on Travis Swaggerty uh, as, as much as we probably should have, but he's he's one of the college bats who's rising. Um, we'll see where the ceiling is with him, but he's a guy who's playing himself into the top ten at this point. So, A lot of great stuff there. Thank you, Carlos. Yeah. Hope you enjoyed that. We thank you for tuning in today. Today's podcast and Facebook Live was sponsored by Baseballism. Visit baseballism.com to get the best apparel in baseball and enter the code BASHIP, that's B-A-S-H-I-P, and get 20% off your order. For Carlos, I'm JJ. We'll be back again next week at our Facebook Live. So long, everybody.